north of 50% of corporate valuations are driven by intangible products, which means data. That's all technology driven. So you outsource the technical function, but you have to keep the core inside. So the question becomes, how do you do that in a way where you can still make smart decisions and you can handle emerging technology as it comes your way so you make smart business decisions? Welcome to the MSS Network, your number one source of information for MSSPs, MSPs, and security architects. And so I'm very pleased to hand over to our panel moderator to introduce our panel, Alex Sharp, Director Sharp Management Consulting, a great friend of the industry, um, worked with Alex on so many fantastic events, including CMMC. So uh, I'll, I'll leave you in Alex's capable hands. Thank you, sir. So, um, again, thank you for the introduction, Alex Sharp, Sharp Consulting. Uh, today's panel is about the super architect of tomorrow. So, we have a good panel today with some very strong opinions about some very important topics. So, what I'm just going to do is kind of tee it up and maybe throw out a little thing, uh, some ideas, and instead of trying to do a round robin, I say just jump in and go for it. If not, I'll I'll volunteer you. So basically what we're talking about is the world has moved more and more towards an outsource model, right? You look at SMBs, they need to look at a, an MSP because they know their craft, they know their core competencies, and technology is not one of them. So the question becomes, how do you outsource that function that your business relies on, right? Because let's face it, every business process today is automated by IT, globally 60% of all revenues come from, from digital, north of 50% of corporate valuations are driven by intangible products, which means data. That's all technology driven. So you outsource the technical function, but you have to keep the core inside. So the question becomes, how do you do that in a way where you can still manage this, you can make smart decisions, and you can handle emerging technology as it comes your way, so you make smart business decisions. So why don't we throw this out a little bit, and you know that, that kind of answers the history a little bit and the why. Why don't we talk about the needs and the tasks of what still need to be retained within the, the organization, and what, what does it look like? Are we talking a person? Are we talking a team? What are we doing? Um, Tom, you want to start us off? Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, I think the need comes about is that we're at a time where security and the requirements of it are understood, but we have, an, we have a, a rough idea of what needs to happen, but we don't know whose responsibility is, particularly when there start being outside entities involved. And one of the reasons why I'm here, and I've worked with film in the past on these, is that I owned an MSP for many years, and now I've worked on the vendor side selling to MSPs. And where does the MSP lie in this? Because often an MSP has a part of it, the IT services they'll handle, but then they don't want to get involved with policy and responsibility within the organization. So we know that that needs to be handed off, and, and, and that needs to be a requirement of who's handling compliance, awareness training, overall framework, decision-making for security in the organization, and handles all that so that when there's pass off to the MSP, there's an understanding of the division of labor and responsibility. Cool. So, Valerie, you've worked on the other side of it, right? You've worked for in transportation a lot where you've outsourced a lot of this to MSPs. What can't you outsource? 
And let me throw out a little quote first um, to kind of get things started. There was a quote said once, I think it was a MITRE executive, that said, when you outsource, um, when you outsource, your decisions are often made in the outhouse. Well, that's a wonderful it. way to kick that off. I appreciate that. That's not a problem at all. So uh, as a consultant, um, both from the MSP side and from the staff augmentation side, I've been in and out of boots on the ground, right on the rails. Uh, my current largest client is a, a very large uh, player in the public transportation sector. All the way up to the boardroom where I'm, I'm doing the briefings at the quarterly meetings, trying to explain, okay, this is what this cyber risk means. This is what this physical risk means. This is what they mean together to you. And the pieces that, that I find that cannot be outsourced to a third party are the translation of the products that come from outsourcing functions. So whether that's, we're going to outsource desktop management, we're going to outsource vulnerability management, right? You, you can bring an MSP in to do the scanning, the looking, the finding, the breaking. Um, as the ethical hacker sort, I'm always breaking something. Um, but if you don't have that key person or small group that sits at the corporate level to translate that information into, okay, this is what this means. Here's what we need to do with this information to go to the, you know, to the next step. So, and this is where I see a lot of this process fall apart because then, you know, if, you're, if the client doesn't know what to do with the report, the product, the outcome, they're probably dissatisfied because that's not what they expected, right? Bring me a rock. No, no, not that kind. Bring me another rock, right? But from the provider side, they're like, hey, we did our best. We, we did what we always do. This is your product. Why aren't you happy? So I, I think that pieces can be outsourced, but you very much have to have a ringleader that, that understands the different risk profiles of cyber, of physical, of business risk, and what that means to the organization as a whole. That's interesting. I thought of that, that age-old picture I'm sure we've all seen where there's a thing with the, the tree and the tree swing. Right, what the customer wanted, what everybody else envisioned, yes. and, and all that. That's what got what documented, there's, no, there's nothing. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah yep. exactly, yes. That's <laughs> what it sounds like. So, so David, why don't you take over for a second? I suspect you're going to have... <laughs> I don't know which one's David. <laughs> uh, that's Brandon to your left. Okay. I'll tell you what, you, you throw the oh, microphone yeah. anywhere you want as long as it's not at me. Okay. Okay, go for it. I suspect you're going to have a different twist on things. Uh, maybe. So I, I actually think that, first off, this responsibility with regards to satisfaction even um, with, a, with a managed service of some kind lies in the management of that organization which has outsourced duty. In other words, they can't shirk by saying, you know, though, though I'm dissatisfied because their service is too canned or their service is not what I expected. At the end of the day, every organization is made up of patterns, and those patterns can be you know, interleaved and sometimes conflicting and sometimes enhancing one another. Uh, but fundamentally, some of those patterns are proprietary to that organization and a bulk of those patterns are just background noise, compliance concerns, um, back office concerns like HR and accounting. There are only so many ways to do these things. 
those patterns that are bulk, that are not proprietary to the company, that do not make your company or your organization unique in its provision of its service are the things you should outsource. And if you find that you know, the provider that, that you're working with is incapable of adapting to your needs, it's possible, in fact, that you have identified a pattern that is unique to your company. Um, and that, I think, is something that a lot of leaders fail to, to absorb. They, they fail to take a step back out of the technical, out of this you know, noise of checklists and controls, and consider what it is that makes their organization unique and consider whether or not they're actually outsourcing that which makes their organization unique, and that's the conflict that they're attempting to resolve. So I think that that's something that really is maybe underplayed in some of this discussion. That's an excellent point, because anything you outsource, by definition, has got to be a commodity. Must be, Right. Yeah. So, you, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't outsource its recipe, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken the same way, WD-40, right? That's the stuff they have to keep for themselves because it makes them unique, yeah. right? You can't outsource that. Um, and it's clearly a shared responsibility model, just like you have core competencies, the MSP has core competencies, so they're gonna have a different perspective. Brandon, do you wanna weigh in? I think you should throw the mic, I think it's <laughs> From my perspective, I think it's a forward-thinking uh, forward approach. Um, it all depends on where the organization at and what state they're at and what type of um, issues that they're going through with their um, environment and what um, you know security mechanisms control that it needs to be in place to be able to execute based off of that. Cool. So the organization can outsource responsibility for some tasks, but they can't outsource accountability. Correct. Because um, if you take a look at it, um, from all divisions of cybersecurity, you have you know, emerging technologies. You know, what is the capability of the organization? And what are they willing to, um, you know, to go with? That's an excellent point. So let's say you do outsource your IT function to an MSP. Everything's going great, right? A new disruptive technology, artificial intelligence, um, comes up. How do you handle that? Because you've outsourced your IT function. And the first place you go with any technology is always IT. Whether they can handle it or not is another question. It all depends on the core competency of the provider. So does that mean that this person that uh, we've kind of coined the term super architect would have to maintain, stay inside the organization but be the kind of person that can handle these new emerging threats. Absolutely. So Tom, how would you, what would you think that person would look like? Well, one of the things as a, someone who owned an MSP for many years, if something like ChatGPT comes out and it seems disruptive, we're not sure how it's going to be used, particularly in that vertical we're supporting that client. I'm going to beg that off as an MSP. I'm going to be like, you know, listen, here's what we know of it, but we don't know exactly how it's going to be used or what's going to happen in your organization because we, we handle your IT needs, but this is a policy decision. We'll, we'll give you advice here, but you've got to make a decision in a policy and decide, is it allowed? If you don't want to allow it, we can block it but we're not going to decide if it's a if it's a go or no go in the organization because it just it starts to get into an area where we can't be an expert of that for how it might apply to your business. Okay, so what and and panel feel free to dive in. We don't have to do a round robin however you guys want to handle it. Feel free to just go in. But what would this person look like? This person you have on your 
you know, the side of the SMB that's actually running this? What would their, what would their skill set be? What would their responsibility be? What, you know, where would they report with, you know, what's the org chart look like? The org chart at the person who is outsourcing the, the SMB. Yeah, the SMB. So to Tom's point, the managed service that they're outsourcing to cannot make strategic decisions. This person who is actually making this strategic decision must be strategic, must fundamentally be able to say, does chat GPT affect my business? Some businesses it may, some businesses it may not. Uh, globally, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. At, at the end of the day, ChatGPT is yet another pattern that has collided with other patterns, and you know, some businesses may find that advantageous, and some may find that ruinous. Um, that is a strategic decision. That is that is not something that's canned for you. If you find it canned for your business, or if you find almost any of these, you know, sort of happenings in the industry canned for your business, you may question, in fact, what it is your business does. Uh, perhaps you are an MSS. If if you're finding that literally everything about your business is entirely routinized, it's likely not. Um, so I think, I think fundamentally that this individual uh, has to be a strategic individual, is not a technician, and is not someone who is overly sus subscribed to the notion that all things can be reduced to technical feats, because technical feats are probably not what make your business, if it's a functioning good, good business. Anybody want to add to that? Oh, he doesn't want to add to that. <laughs> So I think what I took away from that was you don't necessarily need a technologist in this area. No, no, you don't, or no, I didn't take it away right. I, I, think, it's, I think it's often expected that a technologist is in that area. But I, I think it's good not to have a technologist. Probably, yeah. Well, the engineering. Oh, wait, now he changed his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, collaboration with, you know, Somebody with soft skills and and a hybrid of a of, of a technologist should be well implemented for this type of position. Maybe formerly a technologist who has moved more into upper management still has a pulse. Someone so, who's climbed up the ranks within the organization and knows how the organization runs from all walks of life should be. Yeah. So I I know we don't have all day, but I'm going to ask anyhow. Is it better to take a technologist and teach them business, or is it better to take a business person and teach them technology? Ooh, and I'm the one holding the mic. Notice how he passed that as you started asking? He's like, oh, wait a second. Well, did you notice how I waited for it to be in your hand before I That's okay. I, I don't take that personally. That's fine. So from what I've seen in, in the enterprise, and not just large organizations but smaller, I've seen better success with this if there is a technologist who is business-minded. That, that can go that way. So kind of where Brandon was going, a technologist Mo that has moved up the ranks. and has some yes. emotional yeah. intelligence. <laughs> Let me say soft skills. I think that's politically correct. This is fantastic. I right? love it. You don't, want, you don't want the person who's spent an entire career locked in the closet, you shove pizzas under the door? I would want the guy who's actually who started the help desk. I mean, went to school and got some degrees and some extra training and moved all the way up. Maybe they're sitting at that CTO level. Oh, that's a really good idea because when you start on the help desk, you have to, by, by definition, deal with customers. Yeah. And as all of us know, there's a couple things you learn when you deal with customers. You go home and you don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. You one. want the pizza slid under the door and the dirt. Yeah, now we're back to the, the yeah, full yeah, circle. Yeah. No, but that's an excellent point about bringing in support staff because the skill set you have for developing code or designing a semiconductor is very different 
in handling a, a help desk. Go for it. So I think the question, should this person be a technologist or should this person be a business person, I think that that is a contextually, it's, it's in the context of a business that is largely tech driven. I think there are businesses which are not largely tech driven and I think the actual important like underlying Apple. denominator, what, like what? Like Apple. Uh, actually could be, uh, potentially, but fundamentally I think you need to understand the business and I think understanding comes from doing. And so I think depending on the nature of your business, it's not a clear answer. Technology or business person, that's not the dichotomy. I think it's understanding at a baseline what is happening in your business. And so it could be a help desk person. If your organization you know, is such that you're a service organization and you had a help desk or a customer service organization, someone who served on that organization probably knows the business better than generic MBA who came in and you know, has some language that they can share you know, that sort of blur the lines between every single business and what it actually does. Yeah, so it's interesting. Nobody has said anybody coming from like sales and marketing. Well, yeah, uh, that's the side I work. That's the side I work on now, sales and marketing. But um, by the way, I, I got a really good joke about that. If we have time, we'll go there. I would say one of the things I have seen well is when it's someone who is purely business minded, and then has learned where technology fits in the organization. They have overseen it to some degree. But what's nice is they're not wed to certain levels of technology and platforms and software. They don't view it as oh, I've used that, so I like that, and they go in this direction. They view it more as, let me weigh all of them and see which one has the most benefits. But because they weren't a user and implementing that directly, they don't seem to have that, that like, the ascription to those particular ones. How about somebody that, by the nature of their wiring, is a horizontal thinker? They're capable of looking at things from multiple disciplines and pulling it together. How is it more important how they're wired or the background? That's another really good one. Or maybe so, the other question is, do you take whichever one you can afford? Well, we're not, we're not talking about budget, right? We're, we only have 30 minutes. 20 minutes? I don't know how much time you, I have. Yeah. I'm just going to keep talking. We have, we have so, 12 as a group, which means you have a small portion of that. Excellent. Uh, okay, a small portion of 12. Got it. So I, I think that, that that horizontal thinking is very important because... You have to be open to new ideas, but not super easily influenced. And I've worked with a C-suite that they, they almost make their purchase decisions on their security technologies on SkyMall, right? You know, oh, CSO online says this one is the best, so we will buy that one. And I'm like, wait, wait. So it's funny that you say that. That doesn't fit your needs. That's I, not what we're trying to do. Well, but th it says it's the best, so. I had a, I had a client that said the, the worst day they ever had is when their their CIO, excuse me, their CEO flew internationally because he had time to read all the magazines. And he would come back with articles and pictures yeah. and say, we want this, we need this. And the, it was like, here you go, guys. So Yes, or they'll purchase it, half implement it incorrectly, and then it doesn't deliver. And then you're right back where you started, but now you're out all those millions of dollars that you spent on that product. So... Yes, to go back to the original question, because I did not forget, um, <laughs> that that person does need to, to think horizontally across all of the different areas of expertise, but they also have to be able to evaluate independently without you know, being paired to a specific technology stack or a specific data source. You know. So no let me CSO ask the other online. panel members, does it, what I'm hearing from you is it's more important how the, how the folks are wired than it is with their background. But if you have to look at backgrounds, I like the idea of the help desk. That makes a lot of sense to me. At least someone who's been on these different levels, yeah. technically, in the organization, so they can 
look at it from a top-down approach is how does it affect that bottom line where maybe we're actually having to implement security awareness training and get people to comply and do it. Yep. So they, they've seen that front line, but they can understand now here. And it's, it's hard to find that person, and especially when we stuck around. I, I was just about to throw that wrench in there. How often do you see somebody who sticks in the same organization from help desk all the way up to the management? Right. So in that sense, that's kind of a dying breed as well. So maybe Basically, this is a bigger problem. So yeah. yeah, or at least in the same industry. You know, these are the problems I see in this sector or in this sector, you know, because the biomedical industry, their threat landscape is very different than software as a service industry. Yes, you know, public transportation or, you know, defense. I, I like this. So basically, if you see a purple squirrel running around or a unicorn, grab them because somebody needs them. Right? So I wrote down a, a short list as we were talking. It sounds like we agreed there's certain things that can't go outside. One is decision-making, another one is corporate policy, right? But we also talked about security training, and, and um, I wrote down vulnerability management. You can't outsource vulnerability management. Well, right? you can't outsource the decisions around what vulnerability management exactly. means. Or right. the tools for it. You can right. outsource the tools and the scans, but what yeah. one in priorities, what, you know, what, yeah, you what do does this it. mean to me? That so, cannot be outsourced. So it's really, you can't outsource the governance aspects or the accountability. <laughs> you're going to hold this microphone and you're going to like it. I, I, I would be very careful. I suspect she's going to take out some crazy glue and just put it on you. It's in my hat. <laughs> um, so it sounds like it's really the corporate governance aspects that can't be outsourced. That's what I'm hearing. How would you handle security training, right? North of 90% of all hacks these days require a human to do something silly. And most cloud hacks, which would be very much akin to an MSP, are because there was poor configuration on the user organization side, right? So what do we do about that? What's, where does the training fit in? How do we handle the, the misconfiguration issues? A couple things in there. So to unpack yes, the training alone, right? Uh, I think there, the training is a perfect example. There is a baseline level of training that, that really should be common. That baseline level is stuff like phishing emails exist. I think we all know that phishing emails exist. It is, it is improbable how bad people are at identifying them still, despite watching countless hours at this point of security awareness training and you know maybe even practical training where you've clicked on it and you get a training and whatnot. At the end of the day, I think that background probably remains something that will be commodity, and probably every organization should subscribe to it. But again, you need to think about in your organization what training is specific to your industry or to your organization that you cannot provide, or that if you are not providing, you are somehow mismanaging your business. In the area of physical security or executive protection, let's say, you know that might be driving skills. It's unlikely that you can find a third-party provider that can tell you exactly how to drive a particular kind of customer you know, that, that you might have regularly. Uh, that might be something you decide to take in-house and make a core competency of your business. That you, you, know, you take part in the background training of phishing training. You take part maybe even in the uh, defensive driving and you know, offensive driving skills in a generic sense, but specific to your kind of customer who transits that crazy map we saw of DC federal districts. That could be a skill set that your business corners. You know, that somehow that your business is actually training your, your individual employees on the basis of demand um, and you make proprietary. So I think just, just as with all these other functions, in training, 
it must be done on the governance side of things in an active sense. It must be strategically employed such that you are keeping the proprietary things in your business and you're outsourcing all the noise that really doesn't add value to your organization. So it sounds like the, the <laughs> here comes the crazy glue. It sounds, it sounds like the MSP needs to have clauses in their contract that puts the liability on the organization to do their training. Because if they don't, liability, sure, but also they need to help the organization understand this so that the organization can, you know, it's not enough just well, there needs to be a to throw the hot potato everywhere. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm going down the road of there's a carrot and a stick, right? Yeah. And you know why you have a carrot, right? So they get close enough so you can hit them with the stick? <laughs> One joke. The other, the other joke is, remember, you can eat a carrot once, but you can use a stick forever. So... Um, That's a good one. Okay, so can I, can I touch to on a little it. bit more on this? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay, I'm not sure how many more bullets you had because you had a lot of notes. So I think that another important part of this training is, yes, you can outsource the pieces like a phishing test. Yes, you can outsource the pieces like a physical security evaluation where somebody comes in to look at your access control pieces, you know, like some weirdo like me. You know, the first thing I'm doing is like, oh man, the hinges are on the outside of this door. What's wrong with them? You know, I'll just pop it right off the hinges and go inside. You know, there are 14 cameras, but there are six blind spots. You know, um, some weirdo like me comes in and helps with that. And that's a skill set, but you still have to be able to own that, that competency of, okay, now what do we do with this information? How do we change? How do we adapt? What do we fix? How do we fix it? Um, then the same thing applies on the technology side. We can only train the users so much. And this is, um, I actually wrote a book on security awareness training. So this is, this is part of my big push on it. Your job with security awareness training is to teach enough so that everybody can say, ooh, that doesn't look right. Let me send it to somebody who knows what to look for deeper. Right? Because if you start out trying to teach everybody to be a cybersecurity professional when looking at a, a spoofed email, you're going to fail. You just need to teach them enough to be like, ooh, that's not right, and then what to do next. Same on the physical side. If I try to tailgate in behind somebody, you, know, you need to set the culture as such that every employee can turn around and be like, oh, yeah, you, you have to swipe, you, know, you have to get your badge. You know, Billy over there on the door, he'll help you if, if you know, you forgot yours today. Like you have to set that culture, and then you need to put the technology as the last pillar of that. You know, because that person, statistically speaking, somebody is going to click. Somebody is going to tailgate. So that's where our technology should come as our last line of defense of, okay, now what? So, Valerie, this yes. is what you're proposing, what you're talking about, mm -hmm. is the cyber equivalent of the TSA message, see something, say something, right? So instead of relying on that person, you know, don't click on this, you're saying, don't click on really stupid stuff, but if you're not sure, ask before clicking. If you're not sure, send it here. Right, that's an excellent point because yeah. humans are not gonna stop clicking anytime soon. No, they, they most certainly are not. And when we do, it's probably because we now have some laser bouncing off of our eyes telling us we don't have to physically hit something any longer. Right, but the technology should also stop that, you know, if the user clicks and it fails certain security checks on the network side, our technology should stop most of that as well without hindering your user's ability to do their work. All right, so. All right, now I got both sides of me. They both want the microphone. 
Who's I say you throw it in the air and make right, them fight right, over right. it. Toss it up. Go for it. It's kind of funny this, uh, you know, cybersecurity awareness training is coming up because that's the, num the number one thing right now that's more, most breachable because a lot of organization personnel don't have the, ex the expertise. And before you go there, throw out I'm going to throw out two statistics. The last I heard, only one of six people actually goes through the training they're supposed to. That's about 16%. So even though they, they listen to the videos and they get the codes and do whatever, only one out of six actually does it. But north of 90% of all hacks are from a human doing something silly. Internal. Yes. And if we weren't being recorded, I would use a word other than silly. Go for it. Um, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to get there, but you also just... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I would say from the MSP's perspective and security awareness training, that comes up a lot. And I would be more than happy as the MSP to tell you what you should do, to, to even implement it, administer it at some level, but I can't make you do it. And that's why the function we're talking about has to rely, in, be in the organization, core to them, needs to be someone at the C-level who can, who's involved in, in the meetings where they're making decisions, can set policy, and can make sure it actually happens. Because as an MSP from a liability perspective, I'm being hit by the insurance companies now, and so I need to have my contract, hey, we'll, we'll put co-fence on there. We'll put no before on there. We'll tell them to do it, but the compliance piece comes up to, comes up to the organization and people managing it from within. I'm going to throw out one other thing. Um, I don't see anybody kicking us off, so I'm going to ignore the time for a second. So I do a lot of cloud security work, and every time I hit an incident, I can't think of a time when there's been an incident that would not have been prevented or at least constrained um, because of a misconfiguration. And those misconfigurations come because somebody thinks they're doing the right thing. They lose objectivity. We as humans lose objectivity. We look at something, we write something, it says exactly what we think, and everybody else looks and goes, huh? But those misconfigurations happen. You have an MSP doing what they're supposed to be doing. You have this super individual um, on the inside that we all agree needs to be there so you can make smart decisions. How do we, what structure do we put around them? What governance structures do we put around them so we can double check their work and make sure there are no misconfigurations? Well, I think at that point, one thing that comes in, when MSP comes in, they're going to do their own evaluation of what you need. But that's going to be based on them providing more of a top-to-bottom service to cover the IT needs. What I think is important is that the organization get an audit by a third party who's Good not point. involved in this and says, okay, but you missed this one and on our compliance checklist for security. So you need to make sure the MSP does this. And both the MSP and the organization agree on that framework and the, the results of that evaluation and comply with that. You look a little scared handing that over. <laughs> Down this way. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, but I also would like to add, you know, if you're going to do that third-party evaluation, make sure they understand your physical security infrastructure because a lot of these third parties that come in and do assessments, they don't know what door controllers are. They, they know what video cameras are just because they're so popular. But, but if they hit a net controller or a door controller, you know, they don't know what secure is. You know, you have to be very careful who you let into that environment because they can break a lot of things very quickly. So would you suggest that you bring somebody in that's 
familiar with a framework or a standard like um, 800-171 or the, the NIST control framework because they include 14 domains. One of those domains is physical. They do include it, um, but when it translates over into technical expertise, there are not a lot of people who understand it. So I guess the, the word of caution is choose wisely. When you're interviewing and you're, you're talking to these potential service providers, ask those very pointed questions about the types of physical security infrastructure that they look at, what they know. If they don't know what Linnell is, then they're not the provider for you. So tread carefully, don't let anybody in there because we all know what happens. Well, a lot of us know what happens if you, if you scan door controllers, they don't like it. It's kind of like the fainting goats with the umbrella. Um, it's very bad. Cool, anybody else have any other thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I got cool. Uh, so By the way, nobody's kicking us off stage and I think the five of us can take them. So. <laughs> so uh, oh, I'm sorry. The, the threat of how to how to okay, communicate so risk or yeah so do you work within a framework like some kind of compliance framework or or even cybersecurity framework or, or physical okay so a lot of times the, we we're just discussing frameworks and I, I think it's actually applicable to, to what you're asking because one of the one of the most productive uses of a framework is as an aid in synthesis and intertext and what we're calling horizontal thinking which I think some people have uh, mistakenly conflated with jack-of-all-trades the expectation is not that anyone be a jack-of-all-trades you probably have a trade or two that you're really good at the expectation is that you have the ability to synthesize and sometimes a framework in that case can help them synthesize what it is you've identified you know, in your controls. Maybe you have a particular set of risks and they are interrelated to these other risks that you, know, you might not be able to communicate or they might not be able to recognize very cleanly. Sometimes a controls framework can really help lay that out for you and mm -hmm. them. And let me just add to that a second from a risk management perspective. Senior management should know that any control costs money and slows things down whether it's an accounting control, an operational control, a cyber control. So they're used to this, yep. right? It's no different. It's just, you know, I like to translate to that into, into dollars when possible, you know, because if, if you don't understand your audience, it's very difficult to properly communicate risk. You know, in the public transportation sector, that's okay. Well, if these three vulnerabilities are exploited in a row, then that means trains can't run, or that means we can't collect fare during rush hour. So what's our average for that again? Is that a risk that you're willing to accept? How many times does that have to happen? And then once you start to dig into the business, you know, because the business is gonna be your, your main blocker, there's you know, all, there's and, and what that means, then we start getting, you know, good conversations and compromise, which usually just leaves everybody upset, but it is progress. And in defense, it's worse because you're supporting the warfighter, which has national security concerns, some international concerns, plus the DIB is interconnected. 
You know, a lot of this is going to be based on uh, impact level and probability. Um, you know, some organization might look at the risk and, you know, look at the budget and feel like, okay, this is not going to impact long, uh, short term or long term, like low probability, low, low impact. You know, those are the risk trends that they use to, de to determine if, you know, we can move forward. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? jokes okay I think we're getting the wrap it up I think we are too yeah I think we are thank it's you it's a we very polite wrap it up though by the way thank you for more MSS content please visit mssnetwork.com <laughs>